I went out about six, six thirty, and just kind of like looked up and down the streets. There was no one. Wow. So I turned off the lights, and that was Halloween. Dance, monkey, dance. This week's episode of Dance Monkey Dance. I'm Chris. I'm John. How you doing, John? I'm doing. How are you? Oh, I'm okay. Uh, by the time people are listening to this, we don't know what state the world will be in. No. So should we record two things? Should we be like, "What a great day," and then the next one be like, <laughs> "Oh man." Do like a choose your own adventure. Well, I mean, I could just edit in whichever is oh. appropriate. <laughs> Uh, I don't know. That's too much effort. Yeah. <laughs> did, uh, did you have a good Halloween? Um, I did have a pretty good Halloween Yeah. in that I stayed home <laughs> and I watched a bunch of live streams Nice. that, um, ranged in, in quality. <laughs> <laughs> um, the the first one was the the uh, the Hocus Pocus reunion. Did you did you watch that with the family? No, the family watched that. I was upstairs. Okay, it. Uh, they did the three songs that are in the movie. Yeah. <laughs> um. That was about it. There was a lot of Elvira. There was a stupid concept of George Lopez being the book. Okay. Um, and there was the big production number that they, you know, filmed and, and teased for the past month. I, it was okay. There were some interesting things that when, uh, Winifred comes back, she has to look for Sarah who was the, the, the hot witch. Okay. And she goes knocking on all these different doors. And, you know, one of them is Meryl Streep. And she's talking about how when she was doing her makeup test for Into the Woods, Winifred came in and said, you can go now. You're not getting the role. And they had a whole big spat. And then there was a stupid part with Martin Short, who was an agent. Um, um, yeah, it was kind of it was kind of hit or miss. There was a drag queen who was the missing Sanderson sister. It's like, uh, yeah, okay. And then the and um, one of the people she called on was Cruella Deville, and it was Glenn Close, okay. who who made herself up as Cruella based on stuff she found in her house, which was kind of funny. And then at the very end, she rickrolled us. Yeah, my kid my kid came upstairs to tell me about this. Yeah. It's like, oh, okay. So I guess at the end she opens the door and uh, Mariah Carey is there. Yes. And 
Something about Halloween being over. Now it's time for Christmas. And now, yeah, your time's over. Now it's mine. And then they rolled into all I want for Christmas. And that was kind of the end. So do you feel it was worth the $10 price of admission? Uh, no. (laughs) But it was to a good cause. It's the New York Restoration Project, which goes around. um, One of the things they do is they build community gardens in New York and everybody has access to them. And that's nice. And they, you know, they plant trees and they clean flower beds. And, um, you know, it's a it's a feel good kind of thing. Right. So then the second one I watched, Mm -hmm. which was sponsored by by the Actors Fund, was a Nightmare Before Christmas cast. Okay. And kept saying, it's like, you know, this is going to be live and, you know, only only viewable one time. And for the production value, it didn't seem like it was live at all. Maybe the guy who was narrating and playing Sandy Claus was live, but it didn't seem live. It was very good. It was very polished. It was very clean. It was very well done. Um, not many people you would have recognized. A lot of Broadway people. The guy who was the genie in Aladdin played Oogie Boogie. Okay. Um, but it was well done. It was. It was. It was good. And that was only like four ninety nine. So oh, that was a bargain. <laughs> that was good. And then last night, the, the 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 big centerpiece of the evening was a table read. Well, it wasn't a table read because everybody's in their own houses. But it was a a dramatization of Rocky Horror Picture Show. Oh, okay. Um. The stream was a shit show to start. It was like 15 minutes late. It had buffering problems. It <laughs> it was horrible. It was horrible. It's like, look, get your fucking act together. Because the piece that was buffering the worst was obviously something that was pre-recorded. <laughs> um, it was very hit or miss. It was one of those multiple casts. So there was a Brad and Janet. Um who brad was wilmer valderrama mm-hmm. and i'm sorry you've been in this country long enough fucking learn to do an american accent <laughs> Jesus. and it and it felt it felt like he hadn't even I'm not making way the way he talks i'm just saying other people do it yeah um that he hadn't even looked at the script beforehand <laughs> he was horrible he was horrible and then the second the Brad and Janet, who sang, was Rachel Bloom, who was Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, right? and the original Brad, Barry Bostwick. <laughs> and it was great. He was, he was wearing his original jacket from the movie that he wore in the film, and it was really well done. And I don't know if his stuff was all pre-recorded because like, he changed locations in between scenes, <laughs> um, but it was really well done. And um, Seth Green was Riff Raff. The original um, Columbia, the woman they called Little Nell, right. was there. She she was the star of the thing. Okay. And we'll get into why. <laughs> um, Rosario Dawson was the maid Magenta. Okay. She was killer. She was killer. Really? Yeah. She was great. 
Um, the big, um, the big special guest was Sir Tim Curry. Okay. Stroke and all. And we've talked before about my opinion of celebrities who should learn when it's time to, to get out of the limelight. Yeah. I felt very bad for him. And I had, I was watching the stream on my laptop and I had it on my phone so I could watch the, the uh, comments and people was, Oh, this is so brave of him. Oh, we love him. This is so great. It's so wonderful. And it's like, it's kind of sad. <laughs> He's because he has he his brain is fine. He has no problem with his thought process. He has problems getting his thought process out of his body. Right. Yeah. As most so, of that type. Right. Do. So there, there, there was obviously some stuff he did that was pre-recorded because he changed clothes. Okay. Um, but. He had a really difficult time. I don't know if it was hearing everybody. I don't know if it was the different time zones. Um, but it got to the point that the cast started helping him out, which was really cool to see because they would either throw him a line or they would say his line so that he would have the time to process it and ad lib on it. Um, Nell just was great. She okay. she just she as soon as she saw he was having trouble, she started to jump in. She started to get him to say his lines and stuff. And you could tell there was somebody at the house with Tim Curry because you'd hear another woman's voice telling him, "It's like okay, you've got a line coming up. They're going to say this, and then you say this, mm. and you know, trying to coach him." It was, I, I think it's courageous that he did this, but I also feel that there's some part of exploitation. Yeah. It's, it's Dick Clark on New Year's Eve, giving his wife that kiss with his stroke lips. And, yeah, you know, it's like, but dude, come on. And I think, you know, like you said, his his faculties are all there if he can't get him out of out of the, his body. Right. And I think he feels like he can do it. And people are probably afraid to tell him no. I see. I don't know. And I don't know if it was the whole thing. This was for the Democrats of Wisconsin. If they if the, he felt this was such an important cause that he really had to make an appearance and it was more than appearance. I mean, he did the whole show. Well, yeah. And like somebody should have, somebody in his camp should have been like, just show up, say hi, just show him that you're supporting this instead of letting him do the whole thing. Um, yeah. Hmm. I mean, he could have, he could have played because I don't know if you get the same ads that we do down here but he's doing a voiceover on a ad for shutter which is a streaming service for horror movies right i i i haven't seen the commercial but i know the the channel so he's i mean he probably had multiple takes to get that out yeah 
He's been a, and he's done other voiceover work since the stroke. He's working. Right. Um, but it was, uh, it was fun to see all these people. Um, Lance Bass played Rocky and he was horrible. <laughs> um, David Arquette played Eddie and he was very funny. Okay. Um, Jason Alexander was the criminologist. Um, once they ironed out all the bugs, it was good. But I, and, and again, and Tim Curry sang the whole Planet Schmanet, Janet song. Right. Which had to have, had to have been done before because they, they threw in some really cheesy, um, screen effects and stuff. They had really, really budget special effects in this thing in between scenes and stuff that was kind of distracting. Um, but that was definitely worth my 15 bucks. Okay. It, it was, you know, cause I've sit, we've talked about all these other table read things and I usually only watch the free ones cause you know, that's how cheap I am. <laughs> <laughs> but I figured what the hay. And then there was some other stuff that I wanted to see, but they were like, all of them were either on the 30th or the 31st around the same times. It's like, well, why don't you make it available for 24 hours? But you can only watch it once. Right. But that, you know, they didn't do it. Cause there was, there was a, um, a 3D audio version of Dracula that I was interested in in listening to, but I couldn't. But in November, that group is doing Treasure Island, so I may find my way back there. Okay. And then there was something else I was going to watch, but it was like 20 bucks, and it's like, yeah, you're just greedy. <laughs> <laughs> That's more. I mean, I think I spent 40 bucks on the three things I watched, and I was, you know, good for me. <laughs> that's how it goes yeah I'm, I'm watching a muted um video on youtube of mm -hmm. the tim curry singing the song and yeah with all the effects yeah that they had to be a pre-tape thing but it's like you know why didn't you just pre-record it you could have done because Seth Green was cracking himself up and he was trying not to laugh. <laughs> um, stuff that was obviously the guy from Patrick Stump, I think is his name from Fallout Boy, um, did two of Frank's songs. And in between songs, he obviously shaved and changed clothes. <laughs> <laughs> um, the very finale, which I thought was really cool, was Bob Weir from The Grateful Dead. Okay. Um, so they had a bunch of, of very diverse performers. And I thought that was, that was good. Yeah. I mean, it definitely looks interesting. It was, I mean, towards the last 20 minutes or so where they start to lose it. <laughs> um, I mean, Seth and, and, you know, the, the thing with doing something like that without an audience really hurts it. 
Yeah. Because the energy isn't there. I mean, and the energy about, because people were trying to, to do comments like you would, if you saw the live show at some midnight screening. Right. And, um, it wasn't the same, <laughs> you know, you, you lose that entire aspect of the show and like time warp wasn't as, as good as it should have been. Right. So, yeah. Yeah. It was worth it. Okay. As it was a, worth it. As long you as know, you enjoyed I it, wonder. that's the important thing. Yeah, you know, trick or treat. <laughs> and what did you do for Halloween? Uh, I took my kid around uh, a couple of blocks. There wasn't anybody really handing out candy. Um, did you, like, knock on random doors and they, like, gave you, like, an old alarm clock? <laughs> no. No, we, 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 so, Okay. When you were a kid and Halloween was on a Saturday, what time did you start trick-or-treating? Like, well, up north, like 5.30, 6. On a Saturday? I mean, because it was dark. Yeah. Why? You're thinking like 3 in the afternoon? When So when I was a kid, if uh-huh. Halloween started at, at uh, was on a Saturday, we were out the door at like 10 a.m. What? Yeah. It was a well, whole day whole thing. Like- no. Yeah. Never. No. Nuh-uh. <laughs> so. Nuh-uh. So, yeah. I, in New Jersey, that's the way that we rolled. Whether that was anywhere else, I don't know. But um, one of the things that I did was, being that this was the first Saturday Halloween in the house, I got on the Facebook page for the neighborhood and I said, hey, just so that I'm prepared, when do kids start trick-or-treating on a Saturday and they were like uh-huh. uh same time as always and I was like look I'm just asking a fucking question right and so this woman then proceeded to tell me that you know if the lights are on you can go up to their door if the lights are off that means they don't want to hand out candy and I was like thanks I understand how Halloween works <laughs> I was just uh, basically asking if they come earlier right so I was just like fuck it so the kid and I waited until six and started walking around and we walked down to the one end of this cul-de-sac and there was a guy dressed as, um, uh, Michael Myers. Okay. And he was sitting on the back of a truck and he had a guy sitting next to him and the guy had something over his face, but I couldn't tell what it was. So my daughter was dressed as there's a, a anime TV show called my hero academia. Mm-hmm. which is a superhero anime show. And she was dressed up as a character named Eerie. And Eerie has one like demon horn that sticks out from under her hair um, and bandages all over her arms and legs. And so we went out and we bought um, devil horns and I took one and, and painted it. And then we spirit gummed it onto her head And so she approaches them and they have no idea what she is. And they're looking at her and she's got the one horn sticking out under her wig. And they were like, okay. So the, the Michael Myers guy gives her candy. And then the other guy turns to her and says, Hey, do you know who I'm supposed to be? And I, I'm kind of look closer and she goes, yeah. And he goes, what am I? And he's wearing a cutout, like, like a, from the newspaper with eye holes cut out 
of Joe Biden. Oh, Jesus. And she goes, you're Joe Biden. And he goes, scary, isn't it? Boo. And I was like, come on, let's go. <laughs> like bringing that into fucking Halloween, whether like what, like even if the, the, the election is in three days, like, fuck you. Keep that out of the kid's holiday. Now, if the kid had turned and said, fuck you, douchebag, <laughs> that would have been awesome. Yeah. So, um, so obviously you're not treating, you're not training your kid well. Well, so I, I, if I had known that that's what was going on, we wouldn't have even gone down there. Yeah. We, we didn't go to houses that, that, um, even had their lights on, but had a Trump thing in the, in the front yard mm-hmm. because I don't need that. I don't need people to, to do exactly what this guy did that is put their politics into her holiday and they all fucking do it here. So I was like, if there's no signs, I don't care, but you know, this dude fucking ruined it. So she, she immediately was kind of taken out of it and was like, you know, let's just hit a couple of houses and then go home. So, okay, that's fine. We, we set up a candy shoot thing from the front door so that we could have responsible social distanced Halloween. Right. And so we came home and she was handing out candy through the, the, the slide and she's standing there and these two girls walked up wearing, I guess, the uniform that the kids wear at the school in My Hero Academia and okay. immediately spotted my daughter and said, oh, my God, are you eerie? And she was <laughs> like, yeah. And they like gushed all about her costume, how good she looked and made the kids night. Wow. And I was like, okay, this is because I didn't know what it was when she said she wanted to to be this character. I knew nobody else in the neighborhood was going to catch on to what she was. But the fact that we put this effort into this costume and these two girls just made her night. I was like, okay, we're good. Like Halloween was a success. I don't care how many kids came to the front door. My kid had a good time. So that was basically the Halloween well, that's good. Yeah. Yeah, she's uh it was all worth it. I mean, yeah. You know, she she wants to go out trick or treating by herself next year and I was like, "Well, we'll see." Mm. I don't know about that. I guess we'll see what the Does she is. does she have friends that she would go with? She does, and like this year it was different simply because of the pandemic going on. Sure. And we have a lot of friends that have sent their kids back to school and for, for like face to face with a teacher who didn't yeah. go trick or treating, who felt that that was too much of sending your kid. Huh. But like my daughter said to me, can I wear a mask? Yeah. I mean, absolutely. So, so my wife got her a trick or treat mask. It said trick or treat on the front. And she was the only kid that we saw trick or treating that had a mask on. There were adults that came to the door to hand out candy with masks. But at the end of the day, my kid was safe going up to these people. So I don't feel like it was anything more dangerous than, you know. Going to Walmart. Yeah. I mean, she wasn't spending any time indoors real close to these people. Mm -hmm. And most of the people that were handing out candy had a table set out with bags of stuff and said, hey, take a bag. 
Yeah, I'd seen that around my place too. So, so yeah, I mean that was about it. We did the we did the shoot. the The family across the street had a shoot kind of thing. Um, yeah. So, you know, people were being responsible. It's okay. It, it was what it was. So, you know, for for all the other shit that's gone wrong for 2020, I felt like like Halloween was okay, for sure. Hmm. But we did get some sad news yesterday. Um, we did another piece of our childhood is gone. Um, but it's somebody who retired and decided to step away from the spotlight. Hmm. Um, Sir Sean Connery passed away at the age of 90. Yes. Um, that's right. It, what, I don't even know how long ago it was that he stepped out of the limelight. It was right after League of the uh, I want to say 2003. So almost 20 years. Uh, yeah, he, he, uh, did some voiceovers since then. Oh, really? Only three of them. Okay. Yeah. He, he's, he's the voice of bond in the, from Russia with love video game. Okay. Uh, he did a narration of a TV movie doc documentary and, uh, something in 2012 called Sir Billy. Oh, okay. In which he voiced Sir Billy. <laughs> okay. Uh, Sir Billy, the guardian of the highlands. Wow. Sounds like somebody in Scotland said, Hey, we've got a, we've got something for you. And he could roll into the audio booth without getting changed and said, sure. Why not? Yeah. Uh, yeah. And I mean, Sean Connery was so active through, you know, 2000 Yeah, and doing everything from, you know, he, he started off in a Disney movie. Did he really? He was in Darby O'Gill and the little people. And he yeah. even sang a song in that movie. <laughs> um, and then after that, I mean, hit his next movie wasn't until he did, um, what was his first? His first Doctor no. Doctor no. Yeah, Doctor No in 1962. Okay. Um, but he did all those Bond films. He set the standard for Bond. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't think anybody has come close. No, he was the best Bond, pure and yep. simple. He even he even after they they got rid of him and brought in Roger Moore. He yep. even came back to do like a rogue James Bond film. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. And I think, I think James Bond was probably like repeats on TV were probably my first introduction to him. Okay. Um, the very, the very next one was probably, um, Indiana Jones. Mm -hmm. Um, and then that started me down because I had seen I had seen Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade before I saw the original Highlander. Okay. And I think I think the Indiana Jones thing sent me down the rabbit hole of wanting to see Sean Connery films. Hmm. Okay. Because um, I had known him as James Bond, but then it was, hey, this is Indiana Jones's dad. I want to see what else he did. And that led me to Highlander and the untouchables and yep. the a hundred other Zardoz, mm -hmm. you know, and all the things that he had done. Um, 
and like one of just one of my favorite actors growing up and into like the the 2000s i mean i i don't know if you went to the theater to see league of extraordinary gentlemen but i did yeah and it was well basically because sean connery was in it he was definitely one of those people that that if he was in a movie chances are i was probably gonna like it now that didn't happen with okay. League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, but it it had potential. Yeah, just yeah. wasn't a good movie. No, and, but like all of his stuff was like that. First Night and um, Dragonheart. Drag. Well, <laughs> I I went to see Dragonheart in the theater because it was CGI. It was one of the first times they did the CGI dragon, and it was Sean Connery yep. as the voice. So yeah, it's it's a, it's a sad day for sure. Definitely. Definitely. I mean, he had so many iconic roles through the years. Yeah. I mean, he played Bond between 62 and 2005. <laughs> That's 43 years. Yep. You know, I mean, and that includes the video game and stuff, but still. Yeah. And, and, um, you know, the longevity for him playing Bond wouldn't be there if people didn't identify him in that role. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think if you look at like Pierce Brosnan, he's he was a James Bond for a couple of films. But when you right. think of James Bond, that's not the person you think of. Mm-mm, no, um, he's way down on the list. He's he's probably towards the bottom with. Um, uh, oh, what's his name? Uh, David Niven. No, George Lazenby. No. The, uh, the Timothy Dalton. Timothy Dalton. That's who I'm thinking <clears throat> of. Um, you know, you're not thinking of those guys when you think of James Bond. And if you're thinking right. about. Roger Moore, you're thinking about the wrong bond mm-hmm. because even, even in probably his most famous one, which was a view to a kill, he was way past his prime. Yeah. And you know, I think, I think at that age, Sean Connery could have come back and played James Bond better. But okay. I mean, James Bond or James Bond, Sean Connery was still making action movies in the late nineties, early two thousands. Um, sure. He, you know, he did the rock, which is one Hunt of for red October, the rock, which is Presidio. Probably, yeah. I mean, the rock is probably my favorite Michael Bay film. Okay. Um, only because it's Sean Connery and crazy ass Nicholas cage running around Alcatraz. <laughs> mm-hmm. But you know, I mean, it's, a it's, it's a sad day for movies. It's one of those things of like, I think about my favorite actors growing up and how not ton of them are left. And like the day that, that we got to get on here and say that Harrison Ford has died. Oh my God. I was just thinking that. And say that Mark (laughs) Hamill has died is probably the day that I start drinking (laughs) because at that point, my childhood will be dead. And you know, I I don't know how I'm going to handle that. So, well, I hope that day doesn't come soon. No, I hope so either. 
but you know, every day everybody's one step closer. So that's it. <laughs> uh, Any so, day above ground is uh, a win. Yeah. So I watched an ass ton of stuff this week. You did. I I did, and a lot of it was on your recommendations. Oh, okay. Um, the first thing I watched was the movie that you brought up last week, "Blow the Man Down." Uh huh. Um, you didn't like it. I, I, it's not that I didn't like it. It was a weird film. Yes. And. I liked all the twists and I liked all the things that you were talking about, how, where you were like, um, right up until the very last shot, you're not going to see the last thing coming. And it was very much that, but the way that it was shot with Uh the singing interludes in there, Mm -hmm. I was like, good, good on the filmmaker for doing something that hasn't been done that way before. I don't think I've ever seen, how do you classify this movie? Is it a, it's not a horror film. Is it a suspense film? Is it drop? What would you put it? What would you put it under? Uh, I would say it's a suspense film. Okay. So I've never seen a suspense film that breaks into song like sea shanties. Yeah. See, I mean, like I said, that was, the weird thing for me and it was almost like they weren't totally at the act breaks but they were close enough to where i felt like the writer was like we got to do something different in order to like transition to the next thing Mm -hmm. like they didn't know how to get from here to there so they were like let's just put in a song and we'll have all these guys standing around singing but it happens at weird times in the yes. film. And and not just like the song starts and they're singing, but like there's there's an act that these two girls do and the camera pans over after they do it and there's guys standing on the cliff yes. like watching them and they're singing and it's like are they there watching them? Is this just a weird interlude? Like I couldn't tell if the filmmaker was going for a greek chorus kind of thing or if every time there was a very important moment that would underscore it because they didn't seem to follow any formula right wasn't like every time somebody dies the chorus appears (laughs) and sings another chorus blow the man down (laughs) Maybe because the cease chanties were were cheap to license, I'm sure there's no copyright on those. Right. Yeah, that was that was the weirdest part. Yeah. So so I I I got through that and and like I I did enjoy the film because okay. it was different and I like different things. Like I I don't want something that's just by the numbers. I want something that makes me think a little bit. Okay. And this definitely did. Um, so then I watched Hollywood on Netflix. The whole thing? Yes. Okay. I went through Hollywood in two and a half days. Okay. Um, Is that a good thing? Yeah. Okay. Normally, if I like a show, I try to watch one a day. 
Okay. But it was compelling enough that I would want to see what was going on in the next scene or, or in the next episode. Um, the, the only, the only problem that I had with Hollywood was the way it ended. Okay. Um, it's a very idealized ending for Hollywood. Yes. There. So I don't want to spoil it and I want people to see it, but in the, in the last episode, it's a buildup of this movie that they've all done and, um, it gets released and it's, it's nominated for Academy Awards. And I felt like the ending was too neatly wrapped up in a bow. That Yes. That's what I said. I, it was very idealized. And like I said, it was like, so these people, fought for what they thought was right to make this movie. And the finale episode was like all the wonderful changes that came about because of what they had done. Right. Which doesn't have, which didn't happen in real life. Correct. Like, like, well, I mean, we kind of touched on it when you talked about it, but the, one of the characters in this is rock Hudson Mm -hmm. and who was a closeted gay man all of his life until like the very end. And in the finale of this, he has a black boyfriend and they are out in public and they're making movies together. Mm -hmm. And I just felt like, um, as, as idealized as that is, it would have been really nice if that's the way it could have happened for him. Sure. But knowing that it's, it's kind of like, um, watching Quentin Tarantino's Inglorious Bastards and the scene at the end where the the bastards bust in and kill Hitler in a movie theater, mm-hmm. it's revisionist history, and something that is made to be a period piece where they are basing characters on real people and things that those people had done and the Hollywood system and all that. I feel like to to put that out there of like this is and they all lived happily ever after. And now we have right. a, a black actress win a, an Academy Award for Best Actress in 1940, whatever this is. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it just. If it had been a little bit truer to the Hollywood experience and almost not mirrored the movie that they were supposed to be making, but had a little bit more realistic. I I don't even know how to put this like, like more of what would actually have happened instead of everybody winning an Academy award for their thing, except for the, the one guy who then goes and proposes to his girlfriend and she says, yes. So, Oh, happy night for him if they had been snubbed at the Academy Awards and the message be like, but we started something good here. Mm -hmm. Like, I feel like that would have resonated more. Yeah. I felt that by that, as soon as they decided to change the ending of the film they were making. Right. 
it started down this path that it's going to be a manufactured fairy tale. Okay. And instead of playing that through the entire episode, they saved it for the very last one. And that's why it was kind of like, a, a, I, I felt it was kind of a surprise. I thought you were going to find out that nobody ever saw the movie and you know, they all had ter- terrible lives after that, but they still kept going. And, you know, it's 1973 and the black girl who's got a sitcom where she plays the maid, um, you know, kind of like Marla Gibbs on the Jeffersons, right. you know, finally wins an Emmy or something. Right. And, and they, um, they were setting it up for that. They were setting it up for like, like um, the lawyer busts in and burns the, the edit copy. What? At, Oh, <laughs> <laughs> while they're, while yeah, they're exactly. working on it and you're like, okay, they have one episode to go. This is going to be the fallout from that and how it affects these people's lives. And the, the editor sneaks over and says, Hey, I saved you a copy. Mm-hmm. And it was like, okay. Uh, the editor was one of my favorite characters. Well, I, I will say this cast was an amazingly well put together cast. Um, I didn't even recognize Dylan McDermott until like episode four. Okay. And I'm looking at this guy and I'm like, why does he look so familiar? And then I looked him up on IMDB and I was like, holy shit, that's Dylan McDermott. Yep. But the, the, everything that I had always heard about rock Hudson is that like, he was a terrible actor when he came to Hollywood. And they had to work on him and like, that's all in there. And the, and the dude that's playing rock Hudson like nails when he's supposed to be bad. And mm-hmm. you know, oh, yeah. there's those scenes where him and the, and his boyfriend are running lines and you can see the writer, the, the boyfriend is the writer and he's like trying to give him tips and you can see him getting better. Yep. And like the whole time I'm like, okay, this is really, really well done. Um, you know, you have, you have, um, the guy, um, he's not, he's not running the studio. Um, but he's like the producer guy. Yeah. He's, he's really well done. Like everybody that they cast for this was like perfect for their roles. Mm -hmm. Even Jim Parsons, like, like I feel like Jim Parsons after Big Bang Theory said, I don't want to be typecast as Sheldon and has looked for roles that are as far away from Sheldon as you can get. Mm-hmm. And his, I don't know. Did you ever see hidden figures? The story about the, the black women that worked at NASA? No. Okay. He's no. in that and he plays a racist okay. asshole. Okay. And then, so then there's this where he plays like an asshole to the nth degree, like, um, agent who then becomes a producer and just a horrible, terrible person. And I kind of feel like that might be Jim Parsons for real. You think so? I feel like he's really comfortable in that space. Okay. And that, that Sheldon was probably the harder role for him. Just, I don't know, because it was just seeing him 
in this role, it was like, holy shit, dude, like you are an absolute scumbag. And maybe, maybe he's just a brilliant actor, but the vibe that I have always gotten from him in interviews and, um, the way that I've seen other people talk about him makes me kind of think that maybe this is more towards the real Jim Parsons. Well, okay. I don't know. Maybe. But like, you know, this thing had me looking up Hollywood history of like, like did the thing with like the gas station actually exist? And it actually did. Mm -hmm. The, the guy, the guy that Dylan McDermott played is based on a character who ran a gas station that was like a male escort service. And in reality, people would pull in and say a code word and somebody would get in the car and you drive away. Wow. And, you know, I was thinking, oh, this is just made up for the, the show. And it's like, oh, no, <laughs> no, 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 no. Yeah, no. I mean, the the, the parties at, at the producer's house. Mm -hmm. I mean, that that shit happened. Yep. And and the same thing with, you know, Tallulah Bankhead being bisexual and, and that, that's all based in fact. Yeah. Yeah, it's a it's it's a really well done show. Uh, yes. It's very interesting times back then. Of course, I'm sure the crap that goes on now that we don't know about is probably like a million times worse. <laughs> oh, I'm sure. But it's it's interesting. And I don't know whether or not people feel that that um, the shows on Netflix are easier to push limits or they feel more comfortable. But like hearing Rob Reiner curse. Yes. Is weird. Mm hmm. Like and and seeing him in well, sexual the, the situations with, is like, OK. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, the the scene with Patty Lapone on the staircase. It's like, oh, I did not need to see that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, and, and even like there's the scene where you're kind of introduced to Rob Reiner and he's sitting in his study. And they call him for mm -hmm. dinner and the girl comes up from under the desk. Yes. And you're like, what the fuck? <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> Just weird. Yeah. I mean that he was pushing, Ryan Murphy was pushing stuff on American horror story, but this just goes further than he ever could have gone on, on network TV. Well, and I feel like he has hit his stride because the other thing that I watched was ratchet. Okay. Which is another Ryan Murphy show, um, on Netflix. Um, and it is, um, let me get this right. Cause I don't want to, I want to fuck this up. Um, that stars Sarah Paulson and it's about, um, I guess it's based on a book called Nur nurse ratchet. Mm -hmm. And it's about this nurse that, is shrouded in mystery and she shows up at this mental hospital and the course of the eight episodes kind of, um, shows you what the, um, what her story is and why she's there. Um, have okay. you, have you watched any of it? I haven't watched any of it yet. Okay. So, um, it's a little slower pace than Hollywood. Um, okay. It takes place in the same era. It's like the 1940s, the late 1940s. 
Okay. Um, I don't know if Ryan M- Murphy got like a deal on clothing for the fifties, forties and fifties. So he was just like, <laughs> okay. let's set this shit then. You know, we paid for the costumes, so let's yeah. use it. Yeah. Like, like we got these laying around. We'll just keep this moving. Um, I believe this is Northern California instead of Southern California for Hollywood, but okay. Um, it's got, it's got like Amanda Plummer in it who plays this wacky character. It's got Sharon stone running around with a monkey on her shoulder. <laughs> I shit you not. Um, you know, and they're in this, they're in this hospital, this mental hospital where the doctor, one of the things the doctor's trying to do is to cure, um, lesbianism and, um, with like lobotomies. Okay. And all this weird shit's going on. And, um, as the story unfolds, it gets stranger and weirder. And, um, I don't know if they're planning on making a sequel to this, but this too was done extremely well. I don't know if it's just a Ryan Murphy thing, but, okay. Um, I feel like the things that he was able to do on ratchet and Hollywood, you might be seeing a bunch more shit on Netflix from him because they're letting him do what he wants and he's not having to like worry to anyone. Well, he's not having to worry about the censorship of, of cable TV. Mm. And I think that, that it makes it better for him to tell the stories he wants to tell. So, yeah, I would I would say that if if you're looking for something to watch, you should watch Ratchet. And it's what's really surprised me about it was um, my father had recommended this to me. Mm -hmm. He had said, oh, have you watched Ratchet yet? It's really good. And knowing my father and knowing the conservative Republican that he is the fact that he likes this show based on the things that happen in it really makes me scratch my head. Okay. Cause I'm like, this is not the man that I grew up with that like yelled at me for listening to Motley Crue and like, <laughs> like was really careful about what I watched on TV and you know, they're shooting people in the head and then I open the door and a woman's looking at another woman and like, you're like, Whoa, what the hell? And like, it's just, it's, it's out there. And the fact that he likes mm-hmm. it just uh, like, no, I need to have a talk with my dad of like, okay. <laughs> like what else, what else do you want to watch? Cause you know, if you want to watch some weird shit, I can make some recommendations. <laughs> so yeah, I would say if, if, uh, if you want something to watch, watch ratchet. Okay. I will add it to my list. Yeah. And then the other thing is we had a show come back on Thursday, no, on Friday. Uh-huh. Um, um, a little show called Mandalorian. Don't know if you heard of it. Oh, yeah. I was going to check that out. <laughs> um, came back with a very, very strong episode. Yes. Um some twists and turns in there. If you, if you haven't watched the show and you don't want to be spoiled, turn this off now. Um, but, um, after some much debated whose legs were they in episode five last year, Mm -hmm. um, we, we found out that it is indeed Boba Fett 
who has been living on Tatooine. Yep. Um, there were so many callbacks to not only Return of the Jedi, but other Star Wars films. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know why Tatooine is always the fan service um, episode, but they did. Well, a, yeah. Where so what other location would have the same emotional connection? I don't think they would go back to Bespin. I don't think anybody in their right mind wants to go back to um uh uh Naboo. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean, you know, you're not going back to the Death Star, you know, it's Tatooine is where this boy's story, Luke Skywalker, his story began. Yeah, but this isn't the Luke Skywalker story. Anymore. No, it's not. But again, you're 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 paying fan service to a certain group of audience members. Right. Hoping that they're going to embrace this and help it through to the next generation. Right. So they did it. They they did some cool things. They brought back R five, which is the um, which is the the R the R five unit with the bad motivator from A New Hope that sacrifices himself for R two. That's that's the theory, sure. Um, but so so this robot showed up in this droid showed up in um, the Tatooine episode last year. And people were wondering whether or not it was R5. And this time there was no mistake because no the shot that, that they shoot him from is from the back. And he still has like the burn marks from where the motivator burned out. Yep. Um, so there's that. The, there's obviously the, the callback to the Boba Fett armor, which mm-hmm. um, the the marshal, the the titular character of the episode is wearing Mm -hmm. um, which answers the question did Boba Fett die in the Sarlacc pit and the answer is no right Um, they kind of laid out how he got out I don't know if you caught that they they basically talk about how the crate dragon which is the whole point of the story eats Sarlaccs Mm -hmm. so maybe this crate dragon ate into the Sarlacc and was and Boba Fett was able to free himself that way. Yep. Um, you get this cool mashup speeder bike that is part speeder bike, part Anakin's pod racer engine. And I was looking at it and I was like, okay. And I started to chuckle and I was like, oh, that's a pod racer engine. And then I looked at right. it closer and I was like, no, that's Anakin's pod racer engine. It's missing a couple of the flaps, but that's definitely the same. Mm-hmm. That's the same engine. Um, and of course, the big one at the end is Boba Fett looking out over the twin sons, watching the Mandalorian drive away with his armor. And I'm very, very hopeful that this is part one of maybe two episodes. And next week we will see Boba Fett confront the Mandalorian. Okay. In um most Eisley. Okay. To get his armor back. I would really like, you know, to see tomorrow Morrison back in the outfit before the season is over. Yeah. And I think it's wonderful that tomorrow Morrison is playing yeah. Boba Fett. Yep. 
I'm sure Daniel Logan's a little pissed, but he's not old. He's not old enough. Well, look, I'm I'm fairly upset that they changed Boba Fett's voice from Empire Strikes Back. I like the original voice of Boba Fett. Um, I understand the continuity and why they did it. Um, I'm glad they got Tamara Morrison back to do this. And as um, what's the clone trooper's name? that he's going to be playing. Uh, 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 Rex Rex. I'm glad he, uh, I'm glad he's open enough to be like, sure. I'll come back to do star Wars for you guys. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm and, and it all makes it feel Canon now. Like there's always been like, this is, this has been the most star Wars. Uh, the Mandalorian on a whole has been the most star Wars thing that they've done. Um, since Rogue One, that has felt Star Wars to me. Mm-hmm. We've talked about this to to no end about how I felt like the films. A lot of the films feel like fan films, which I'm sure. not getting things quite right or whatever. But this, there's so much attention paid by Dave Filoni and John Favreau, and them wanting to see things from their childhood, like the troop carrier at the end of the last season. Mm -hmm. And the fact that there was always that legend of the, the, the missile firing backpack Boba Fett figure. Yep. And that you never saw Boba Fett fire his backpack. And these guys said, well, fuck it. We'll do it. Right. So we're going to throw in a thing where the range finder comes down and he tilts his head down and it fires off. George Lucas did it in um, Attack of the Clones with um, Django. Django. Django fires his backpack, um, but you never saw Boba Fett do it. No, his was fired by accident. Yeah, which they redo in this as well. Mm -hmm. Um, I thought it was very funny that when the Mandalorian says, look, just go watch the kid. I'll take care of this. He hits him in the backpack the same way Han Solo does. Yep. And he goes flying off. Although Han Solo did it by accident because he was blind. Right. Right. But the callback, the the callback is brilliant. Mm -hmm. And I think that's one of the things that makes Dave Filoni such a perfect um, leader for Star Wars going forward is he is a fan and he was a fan long before he worked for Lucasfilm. Mm -hmm. And he is a nerd to the level that he would know whether or not something has happened in whether it be the books or in Canon or whatever. And so he's taking these pieces and he's saying, we've always wanted to see this. So we're going to put this here and we're going to see this. And you, you team him up with John Favreau, who's a lifelong star Wars fan. And you get two guys that don't just want to make a star Wars project they want to make something that they as children would want to watch mm-hmm. and it makes the show all the more better for it. And I think JJ had really good intentions with the force awakens. I think he was trying to start something and wanted to make an homage to episode four, which he did, mm-hmm. but didn't really break new, any new ground. Right. And this is the Star Wars fans dream of two guys that are breaking new ground and paying some fan service along the way. But 
you know, seeing a Star Wars film the way that it's supposed to be. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, George Lucas, when he made the prequels, said, up until now, you've only seen um, old men fighting and a boy that was trained by Yoda. You've never seen the Jedi in their prime, so that's what I want to see. And the right. fights became faster and more intense. Um, and now you have action scenes that are more intense than, than Star Wars has ever had. And mm-hmm. these scenarios of like, hey, we're going to do this to kill the, the crate dragon. Oh, that didn't quite work. So now we're going to have to come up with a different way. And you right. knew that nothing was going to happen to the Mandalorian. Mm-hmm. Like you've seen the trailer, you know that he goes to a water planet and that he's been seen in other locations. So nothing's going to happen to him. Well, it's also the first episode. Right. And it's the first episode. Um, so he's not going to be put in danger, but the fact that they were able to come up with a solution where it's kind of like swallow this and then, um, we're going to explode him from the inside was, mm-hmm. was something you hadn't seen in star Wars before. And, I felt it was really well done. I think the visual effects for this show are on a level that could compete with any movie. Oh yeah. Well, I mean the engine for the, um, software they're using was, was updated in the meantime in between the last episode and this one. So, and they're pushing it They're They're pushing it oh, to yeah. see how much farther they can go, whether, mm-hmm. you know, it, it's not just going to be like backgrounds, but they're going to do characters and stuff in it now. Mm-hmm. And the fact that 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 crate dragon was on par with anything that you've seen creature wise. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, whether it be smog, the dragon in the in the Hobbit movies or whatever. Like, it's so well done on a TV show budget that like. Mm-hmm. I, and that's it's just the first episode. Like, I can't wait to see. Because they say they said the bulk of their budget for. um the last two episodes of the first season. But now that it's a hit, they're just being thrown money. Right. So I'm really excited to see what they're going to do with this. Um, but I do hope that there's more Boba Fett coming. I do hope that this is just, you know, that the episode picks up next week with him getting back to the razor crest and mm-hmm. Boba Fett's waiting there for him. Right. Um, and you know, it's cool to, for them to, to flesh out like the sand people too. Mm-hmm. Like you don't really know much about them except that Anakin killed an entire camp of them. Right. Um, I do think it would have been cool if there had been a scene where they're talking around the campfire and the Mandalorian explains to them that he's looking for Jedi Right. And, and one of them tells him a story about how a Jedi wiped out his entire, an entire group of sand people Mm -hmm. to put more distrust of the Jedi into the Mandalorian. Sure. Like, I think that would have been a really cool story point. Um, and to bring that stuff into this show. But I mean, for whatever reason, you know, they, they're writing it for however they're going to write it, but. Right. I do think that that would have been a cool little like, Hey, you're on Tatooine. You're looking for this 
this guy, like, guess, guess here's a story that you're not going to believe. Um, because it would show, it would show like a humanity to the Saiyan people that you haven't seen before. Mm-hmm. But so, well, I mean, you kind of saw the humanity in it in that, um, the marshal had struck up some kind of accord with them and that they had a common, common goal in mind, basically, you know, killing the crate dragon. And then you find out that it wasn't for food, that it was actually for the pearl. Right. Right. Yeah. I, I mean, so obviously they're, they're intelligent. They have a value system. Yeah. They, you know, there's more to be discovered there. There's more to be dug into at some point. I love the fact that this episode was such a Western. Yeah. Yep. But all the, the, the two Tatooine episodes have been Westerns like true Westerns. Yes. Mm hmm. Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Incredibly well done. I mean, and I feel like that, like if we're going to play on the Western thing, the whole idea of a standoff between um, like Boba Fett, um, Din and the, the Marshall guy, mm -hmm. almost a good, bad and the ugly type situation. Yeah. Would sure. have been very cool to see. Like, like if they had ended the episode with, with um, the Marshall giving, the Mandalorian, his, his armor. Mm -hmm. And then they turn around and Boba Fett's standing there and he's like, Hey, that's mine. And then they just cut the black. Mm. Like that would have been a cool way to end it too. But you know, I did, I did like the whole twin son. Don't know who the dude is until he turns around. Yep. I had people that like sent me text messages saying, was that Boba Fett? I'm like, how did you hmm. not know that that was Boba Fett? Right. The whole idea is it's Boba Fett's armor. And then the dude that you see at the end looks exactly like Django Fett. Mm -hmm. Just older and more scarred. Yes. But yeah, I, uh, I'm thoroughly looking forward to this season. Was there anything else you caught in it's it? It's going to be good. That, uh, Easter egg wise. Oh God, there was so much. <laughs> um, the fight with the two Gamorrean guards. Yeah. Love that. And the, uh, the one eyed guy that he goes to see is uh, voiced by John Leguizamo. Yes. And, and we were watching the credits and that popped up and I was, I, I had to rewind it. Cause I was like, how did I miss John Leguizamo? Mm -hmm. And then I was like, oh, no, he was the voice because everybody thought that that was John Favreau in the trailer. Well, that's kind of what it felt like. That's how that character came across was that it was the type of character Favreau would play. Right. But apparently he was too busy directing. Oh, and there there's a direct homage to Iron Man in it. I don't know if you caught that. The the scene where he fires the jetpack. At, uh -huh. the, at the fleeing um, whoever they were that was had the camp under their control. Mm -hmm. um, 
is is almost a direct shot for shot from the Iron Man one scene where he fires the missile at the tank uh-huh. and walks away. Like even Favreau put up a picture on Twitter and was like, yep, same energy. Oh, okay. So, cool. so yeah, I mean, he's, he's referencing <laughs> other things. I wouldn't be surprised if somewhere in the graffiti there was something that had to do with the robot from Zathora. Quite possible. Like, yep. like I'm, I'm sure he's sneaking in as a director, sneaking in all kinds of stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and I don't think that that um, that world is something we're not gonna is something we're going to see again. Yeah, I mean they they make no reference to where he is there. No. No, but if you saw the teaser posters with Cara Dune and, and Grief Kara, mm-hmm. they're all standing in front of a different graffitied wall. Okay. And people are like dissecting them going, oh, well, that, well, that looks like that's a battle droid head and that looks like this. And, uh, you know, <laughs> got to wait and see, guys. I was kind of waiting. um Knowing that John Favreau had had um, directed that, I was waiting for a Swingers reference, but I don't think he worked one in. It'd be funny if when they walked into the the uh, the bar where he meets the marshal, if there was like some some lame duo doing a lounge act, <laughs> like Marty and Sylvia. Right. I also really That's enjoyed uh, Timothy Oliphant in this. Yeah, he was really good. Yeah, he's he's done. Recently, like I didn't, I I watched, I only watched part of Deadwood. Mm-hmm. I never watched the the other one he did where he was a marshal or a law guy. What was that other one? Couldn't tell you. It was on FX. Justified. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. That sounds right. Um, yeah. So, um. I never, I never watched that, but he was amazing in Santa Clarita Diet with Drew Barrymore and um, the severed head of Nathan Fillion. Oh, jeez. He's got amazing comic timing, and he doesn't get to show off very often. And I felt like there was there was a little bit of humor that he was trying to mix in with this. Yeah. Um, I just don't think that the Boba Fett suit fit him well. Well, and I I think that was a conscious choice so that when he walked in, you're like, oh, okay, Boba Fett's not the marshal. Right, right. And, and for sure, like there's that shot where you can see his chin when he's wearing the helmet. Yeah. Like, and you're like, you're not supposed to see anything near that on a Mandalorian. So... Yeah, I mean it was Yeah, it was very It, it was definitely for that that reason, but it's it's a little off-putting when you're used to seeing it in one light and then it's not like that. Yeah. But I do like the distressed look of like the stomach acid eating through the armor <laughs> and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um Yeah. And it's just nice to see that out in the world again in an official Star Wars capacity. Yeah. So yeah, I'm uh I'm very anxious for the next season or the next episode to drop. 
Mm-hmm. Although, because everybody in the family watches it, I have to wait until Why? evening. Why? Because, like, we all everybody in the house wants to watch it together. Oh, whatever. <laughs> so, <sighs> so I got off work at um three thirty ish on Friday. And did you rush right home? Well, no. I mean, I'm, I'm working from home doing stuff. That was a joke. I, yes. So um, my what wife doesn't get off until 4.30. So at 4 o'clock, I call for pizza and went and got it. And we were watching Mandalorian at like 4.32. Because I was like, we're not, you're going to eat dinner early and you're going to watch fucking Mandalorian. It's just all that's going to happen. So. But yeah. Um. I can't wait to see what they do next. Yeah. And it gives me hope that they can pull off Ahsoka Tano and um, um, Captain Rex Rex and Sabine in live action. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, these are definitely the people to do it. And I'm, again, I'm very happy. I wish they hadn't announced Rosario Dawson was going to be playing Ahsoka. Mm-hmm. I th- I think it would have been better if she had just popped up the way the baby Yoda popped up. Mm. You know, like all of a sudden in an episode they turn around and there's Ahsoka Tano. I think that would have had a better impact because they're not they're not releasing any footage. They're not, you know, she's not on any of the marketing materials. It's yeah. just like, you know, you're going to have to wait until probably episode five to see her. Mm hmm. Because Dave Filoni directed five, and since he created Ahsoka Tano, right, that's your best bet for her showing up. So until then, you know. Um, and I'm assuming that's also when we're gonna see uh, Bo Katan and a bunch of the other. Since I think Ahsoka Tano was friends with Bo Katan. She was. Okay. She met her. Clone Wars. Yeah. So, so being that Katie Sackoff is coming back as Bo-Katan and, you know, she's not doing all the episodes. I would assume right. that there's going to be an episode that's got a bunch of cameos in it. Well, and I think the whole point of him going around looking for more of his kind gives you the opportunity for those cameos. Yeah. Yeah, I just don't know who else from Clone Wars they'd bring in for that. Well, I mean, at the Clone Wars ended with them going off looking for Ezra. Right, and they could bring back Ezra for They this, could bring back Ezra. Which would be interesting. That, you know, you encounter, if, if Ahsoka takes the Mandalorian to meet up with Sabine and Bo-Katan, because they knew each other. Right. Um... I don't know. Anything's possible at this point. I mean, cause Ahsoka could explain that, you know, I've been out here for out in the outer rim for so many years trying to find Ezra and I followed a lead to here, but he wasn't there. And, you know, maybe they join up again. Maybe there's a spinoff series. <laughs> well, I mean, there's definitely going to be a spinoff series. Yeah. yeah. Fear the Mandalorian. <laughs> 
it was it was nice to see that like there's some kind of like three dimensional television show that everybody watches that showed the Death Star blowing up. Yes. Like I don't know how they got and, that footage, but you know. Well, and somebody went and um, deciphered the hour bash that's scrolling around the bottom of it. Yeah. And it's the opening scroll of Empire. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. Nerds. I wonder if that's a if that was a thing that Filoni and Favreau put in there or they that stuff gets left up to the visual effects artist and uh, the visual effects artist is just like, I don't know what to put there. So let's just put an opening crawl in there. Hmm. Everything like that has a purpose in that world. Well, yeah. Whether it, whether it's, you know, the VX, the VFX artist having fun with it or somebody saying, Hey, we should try this or let's slip this in here. Right. More to come. Yep. Yep. All right. You got anything else for this week? Uh, no. no. Okay. No, we'll save it for next. Okay. Okay. All right. Well, if you want to get in touch with us, you can always send us an email at info at dancemonkeypodcast.com. You can follow us on Twitter, Facebook, YouTube. Let us know you're listening. So until next week, this is Chris. And this is John. Have a good week. Wear your mask. Yeah. <laughs>